0: From the Poem of Helgi, son of Hjorvath King Helgi was a mighty warrior. He came to King Oilimi and sought the hand of his daughter Suova. Then Helgi and Swava exchanged vows, and greatly they loved each other. Suova was at home with her father, while Helgi went out on raids. Suova was still a Valkyrie, as before. Helgi's brother Hedin was at home with his father, King Hjørvarth in Norway. Hevin was coming home, alone from the forest one Yule Eve, and found a troll woman. She rode on a wolf and had snakes in place of a bridle. She asked Hevin for his company, but he refused her. She said, you'll pay for this at the Yule Feast when you make your oaths. That evening, the great oaths were made, the sacred boar was brought in, and men laid their hands on it, and took their oaths as they drank. Hedin vowed that he would take Swava, Oilemi's daughter, the lover of his brother Helgi. But then, such great regret seized him, that he went forth on a wild path to the south, alone." In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk.
1: In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer
0: and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. The festive season is a time for family, friends, joy, good food and amazing drink, and of course swearing solemn iron-bound oaths upon a sacred pig, a Viking New Year's resolution.
1: Now, Lucas, I have made quite a few New Year's resolutions in my time, and I've not stuck to most of them, actually. Is the problem that I haven't been swearing it on a sacred pig?
0: It's a very, very important part of the Viking version of a New Year's resolution, (laughs) definitely.
1: So, we're talking about oaths today, and the reason we're doing that is because it's Yule-ish
0: Yes, Merry Yule, everybody! Happy Yule! Four bless us, everyone! (laughs)
1: Now, um, it was a tradition, I understand, at Yule for Vikings to make oaths, and that's a bit like our New Year's resolutions. Yeah. So, what better time then to talk about Viking oaths and oath-keeping and, and all sorts of fun things. But, I mean, let's let's start with the basics. What is an oath?
0: So, an oath is essentially a sacred promise or a solemn vow a person might make. In Old Norse, they're known as either. In Old English, I think, all in my... Um, Best old English accent there, or orv. Orv. And oaths, of course, are not unique to Viking culture. People still swear oaths today in some form. And lots of other cultures historically have sworn them. The Romans, for instance, they're known to have sworn oaths upon a sacred stone in the Temple of Jupiter on the Capitoline Hill. Sounds very grand, doesn't it? It
1: does, yeah.
0: Viking oaths are a bit different. We'll get onto that in just a bit, though. (laughs) Now, oaths are very, very important for the Vikings and other Germanic cultures of the time. It's basically an iron bound statement that you have to fulfill at all costs. So, lots and lots of the Old Norse sagas, the Icelandic literature, the central conflicts revolve around oaths. Somebody making an oath that they really, really have to fulfill, even if the situation is ridiculous and they don't actually want to fulfill it anymore. You've got to. You said you would.
1: I think in one of our sagas we've previously talked about an oath, didn't we? In, in the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, right?
0: Yes, he swears an oath he will conquer the whole of England with two Viking ships.
1: That's a bit of a silly oath to, to make, isn't yes, it? Yes,
0: you might remember that his wife says, um, that's a silly oath, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> and he's like, well, I've made an oath, what do you expect me to do? I've got to do it now. And he tried, and he got nibbled on by snakes. <laughs> and that was the end of poor Ragnar but at least he fulfilled his oath or tried to at least i should say or he didn't died trying, yeah. yeah uh we are not known as like the kingdom of Ragnar these days <laughs> he failed utterly <laughs> but the reason that Ragnar and other characters in the saga literature fulfill some of these ridiculous oaths is because a person's word their honor their reputation they are the most important and most valuable thing more valuable than your own life even Breaking your oath carries very, very severe consequences. An oath is basically the lowest form of scum you can possibly imagine. Nobody would want to be associated with someone who broke an oath, and you may lose protection of your lord in society, and you may also become extremely vulnerable to your enemies as a result of breaking your oath. So oaths, of course, play a role in the legal system. You get witnesses swearing oaths, judges swearing oaths. We've got a little bit of that today, of course, don't we? And you yeah. might, you know, touch a Bible and go, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, etc. Uh, don't say etc in court, though, that's very bad. <laughs> and just this whole Germanic warrior culture the Vikings are part of, it's all based upon oaths of fealty. So this also contributes to later kind of medieval knightly culture, feudalism, where a lord and a vassal, they swear oaths, entering into a contract with each other. So one will swear to fight and serve the other, and then the lord will protect his vassal from any other exterior forces. So oaths, very, very important for the entire fabric of society in the early medieval period.
1: So I I suppose it's, you know, they were so important because there was no other kind of system in place. People didn't have the, you know, kind of security and stuff that we do in our society, really.
0: So yeah, I mean, in this time period, whilst we have a few runes scratched on bones and things like that, besides that, it's largely illiterate, isn't it? They don't have a rigid central government to help order society together. So instead, they've got oaths and promises instead. It's the glue that holds everyone together. I swear I'll follow this leader. I swear I speak the truth. I swear I'll marry her. She's beautiful. And it's a pretty effective system, because if you don't fulfil your oath, this raises all sorts of questions about your character and your reputation. The rest of society just won't do business with you, or engage in any social activity with you at all. So, oaths works pretty well for these early medieval people in the Viking Age.
1: So, I mean, whilst we don't really use a ton of oaths today this is not the first time i've heard of them I and mean, i'm sure our listeners have kind of heard of something similar but like something that springs to mind immediately for me is pop culture i mean mm-hmm. i just finished um binging house of the dragon and mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of oath making and breaking in that show um can you think of any other examples that people might be familiar with
0: um so the, the other ones from game of thrones of course there's the Nights watch vow if they break that they get their head chopped off chopped off in <laughs> episode one i believe didn't it <laughs> and uh Jamie Lannister of course broke his oath by yeah. stabbing uh King Aerys Targaryen in the back.
1: They they did. They called him oathbreaker a lot and I suppose, you know, I didn't really realize at the time of watching that that was quite the scathing insult, you yeah. know. Um, But I suppose if it's supposed to be medieval adjacent, you know, that's probably the worst thing that they could call him.
0: There's also the spooky ghosts in uh, Lord of the Rings as well. (laughs) Um, Of course, Tolkien was very heavily inspired by his knowledge of Germanic literature when he wrote Lord of the Rings. And they are all ghostly because they broke their oath. They were supposed to help the King of Gondor fight Sauron. They didn't. Logically, they become ghosts, of course. Because they're oath breakers. Nightmare. Um, Yeah. Viking literature doesn't happen. You don't turn into a ghost if you (laughs) break your oath.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, the whole reason we're talking about oaths is because Yule seemed like a, you know, good time for people to make oaths. Can you tell us more about the importance of making oaths at Yule?
0: Yeah. So oaths can be sworn at any time of year, it seems. Although they don't really give dates in the sagas very often at all. But Yule in particular, oaths are super sacred at this time. It's a bit like how a New Year's resolution is more impactful than a decision you might make on a random Tuesday afternoon in April. (laughs) So if I was to go on, you know, on December 31st, I swear I'll go to the gym every day for the next month. That's quite an impactful decision. If I just told you one afternoon in April, gym next month every day, you'd be like, why are you telling me this? (laughs) (laughs) So, Yule, important sign for oaths. Now, of course, big feasts happen at Yule, like we have our big Christmas dinners today. And a feast would be a very good time to bind your community together, secure the loyalty of your warriors, and bolster their determination to do heroic things. And we see this across Germanic cultures. For example, in Beowulf, there's a nice big feast. All the warriors boast about their deeds, and they mention oaths as well. So all this food's about, all this drink's about, the Lord's being generous. I might feel like pledging an oath of fealty to this guy. I'm a bit drunk as well at the time, of course. (laughs) So everyone's together swearing these oaths. That might be why Yule is a good time. We're all gathered around each other and can witness the oaths, of course. Whereas in the summer, who knows where we are, raiding Lindisfarne or somewhere. And in multiple sagas, we have instances where characters swear really important oaths during Yule. So, for example, from the Saga of Horth and the people of Holm? Time passed until Yule, and when people had sat down on the first evening of Yule, Huror stood up and said, I step here onto the bench and make this solemn vow, that I will have broken into the burial mound of Soti the Viking before another Yule comes. He basically swears he's going to break into a burial mound and slay a draugr. Yeah,
1: that doesn't seem like a great idea. I imagine that, like you said, the the alcohol's probably come into play a little bit there.
0: Yeah, all his friends swear similar oaths to help him or follow him wherever he goes. And I believe in this saga the stench of the draugr is so bad it kills many of them. (laughs) But it doesn't matter, they fulfilled their oaths. That's the honourable thing to have done, of course.
1: So, I mean, something you're kind of not mentioning yet, but you mentioned at the top of the episode, is the boar. Did people feel the need to touch a boar to make these oaths?
0: It seems so. It doesn't pop up every single time, I have to say. Sometimes they just leap up and go, I swear an oath, I'm going to kill that draugr." Anyway, enjoy your dinner. (laughs) Other times there seems to be this ceremony that's described. So a special boar is brought out.
1: An alive boar? Or a dead boar? I'm
0: unclear. (laughs) They don't actually (laughs) explicitly say. I believe at some point it is sacrificed. I don't know if it's still alive when they're touching it. Okay. They're not good on description in the sagas, I have to say. So in Old Norse, it's referred to as a sonagultur. And this seems to be a boar that might be sacrificed as part of the celebration of Yule. And it might be connected with the god Frey. Now, Frey rides a golden bristled boar named Gullinbursti, but boars are also linked with Freya. There's a poem where she rides a boar named Hildiswini, who's actually a man she has sort of transfigured into a boar for some reason. And the prosetta also mentions a special boar named Sahrimnir, who who is killed and eaten every night in Valhalla only to, only to spring to life again the next day. So, this sounds a bit like a sort of christmas feast that happens every single day yeah christmas every day is minder of hell but <laughs> the vikings clearly like it and of course we have the pig the boar being used for oaths so there's an instance in the saga of Hervor and hethrek which is a great saga definitely read that one if you can find it where king hethrek has a great boar reared it was as huge as the strongest fully grown bull so quite a big pig Oh my god and so fair of coat that every hair seemed to be of gold. So it sounds a bit like Frey's golden bristled one. The king laid one hand on the head of the boar, and the other on its bristles, and he swore that no man had ever done him so great a wrong that he should not have just judgment from his counsellors, those twelve who had to tend the boar, or else he should propound riddles, which the king could not solve. King Hedrek, now became a man of many friends. So quite a strange over there. Yeah,
1: I don't really understand, but that's okay. It's a
0: bit different to slaying a drowber. Yeah. But it's, he's basically kind of saying about he swears to have a system of fair justice, law okay. and order. It does lead into the next chapter, where a mysterious one-eyed man with a spear turns up who asked for some riddles with him. I wonder who that could be. Who could
1: that be? I don't know. So
0: it's an interesting plot device here to lead (laughs) on to the riddle contest in the next chapter. In one version of of the manuscript of this story as well, it's mentioned that King Hetherac worships Frey. So there's clearly a link here between the king, boar, the boar and the god Frey. There's also a poem from the poetic Edda, the poem of Helgi, son of Hjordhav. And there are oaths sworn whilst drinking a toast And this is a bit of a weird one. So in this particular poem, uh, there's a character named Hayden who is out for a winter walk and he meets a kind of giant or troll woman riding a wolf using snakes as (laughs) reins. She offered to accompany Hayden, if you know what I mean, and he says, no, no, thanks. So she says, you'll repay this at the feast when you make your oaths. So at the Yule Feast, a big boar is brought out, men lay their hands upon it, and they swore oaths as they drank. Now, Heaven swore that he would take Suova, the b- lover of his own brother, Helgi, and later he regretted this. That's not a really nice thing to do, is it, of no. course? He regrets it so much, though, he just... Runs away from home, basically. He wanders the wilderness for some time. Because he can't break this oath. He has to fulfil it. So it was better to exile himself from the community. But later, he bumps into his brother. And his brother goes, why did you run away? What's going on? And he said, well, I made an oath that I was going to, you know, get with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, don't worry. Don't worry. That I'm really glad you made this oath. Because basically... I'm about to fight a duel with a king in about three days time i'm fairly certain i'm gonna die because you know that that giant troll woman you met that wolf that she was riding it's my guardian spirit so logically yeah i think i'm about to die and so my girlfriend my wife she's gonna be like you know without a lover now and i'd much prefer that you take her than some guy i don't know so the oath is fulfilled
1: I mean, so there's a couple, (laughs) I I just have so many questions. I mean, heaven forbid they give her a choice in the matter, you know, um, she doesn't need to choose her new lover or anything, but also like his spirit guardian and it's just, I have so many questions, Lucas, (laughs) but okay. He touched a boar and made a promise. That's well, at least he got a happy ending, I guess.
0: It's it's something we see in a few different sources. It, it a similar thing pops up I think in the saga of Hervor and Hethrek, as well as the saga of Sturlab the Industrious, where men make oaths about wanting a particular woman. Lovely. So it's a bit um yeah, they're just creeping on women, basically. <laughs> they're not doing I swear to slay a, I swear to slay a dragon, I swear to Wing Glory. They go, That's her, that's the girl I'm going to marry. <laughs> they swear to do the devil's tango. <laughs> <laughs> So, for example, in the saga of Sturlab the Industrious, I think I may have mentioned this last Yule, that during the Yule feast, uh, a variety of weird oaths are sworn. One character swears they'll discover where the auroch's horn stems from by the third Yule, or die trying. Not sure what that means. But then up stands Thramar, and he swears that he will find his way into the bed of Ingeborg, the daughter of King Ingvar of Russia in the east, and that he will have kissed her by the third yule or die trying. So I'm not sure what the re- reaction was to that. The no, start was a bit yeah. silence. So he does fulfil this oath in a kind of creepy way. He hides behind a curtain while someone distracts her. Then he leaps out and grabs her and kisses her. So she says she's going to have him executed, but he doesn't care. He made an oath, and he's going to fulfil this no matter what the cost. Great. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so this really inappropriate behaviour is, is justified. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: In the strange code of their strange society.
1: <laughs> well, so I guess then... Do we have any examples of an oath breaking?
0: Yes. So one particularly prominent example of oath breaking from this period, which I- I'm going to say is Viking. Technically, it's Norman, but the Normans are Vikings, really, aren't they?
1: I feel like you're going to upset a lot of people <laughs> saying that, but sure, sure.
0: You can actually see this oath happening, which is a bit strange, very unusual for the period, because it's on the Bayeux Tapestry. There's an image of King, Har- or the future King Harold Godwinson, I should say. It's not king quite yet. Um, Harold is in Normandy and you can see an image of him touching what appears to be holy relics and there's text in Latin above it saying that he is swearing an oath to Duke William, the future William the Conqueror. Now the oath isn't explained and there's no magic pig in this one unfortunately. They're very Christian by this point, they've (laughs) replaced it with holy relics and Bibles and things like that but other texts tell us that he swore an oath he would support William's claim to the English throne. And we know that didn't actually, you know, turn out that way in the end, did it? No, I
1: think we have an episode about it, don't
0: we? Yes. So King Edward the Confessor died. Harold proclaims himself King Harold II of England. And William's like, mate, you swore an oath. What are you doing? <laughs> so this could have actually helped William out for the Norman Conquest, because he could then say, Harold is an oath-breaker. Help me defeat him, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> And interestingly, this also something similar pops up in the saga of King Harald Hardrada in Haynes Kringler. There's a scene where Harald Guvinason, which I believe is Harold Robinson in Norse, he gets swept away to Normandy by a storm, which matches other stories about what happened to these, these people in real life. And he meets Jarl Viljalmur, which is probably Duke William. <laughs> And Harold promises or swears an oath to marry William's daughter. But first, just popping over to England. And he never marries William's daughter. He never comes back to Normandy. So later we read that Viljalma thought he had a better claim than Haralda to power in England because of his kinship with King Etvarth, King Edward. There was also the fact that he felt he had to repay Haralda for the disgrace of breaking his engagement. There's a bit of a double dishonour here. An oath has been broken and also his daughter has been dishonoured as well. It gets a bit worse as well because um, William's wife in the saga has supposedly helped Harold make this agreement and William's so angry he gives her a karate kick in the boob as punishment <laughs> oh
1: my God.
0: and it kills her.
1: Sure, that's biology. Yeah, that's the
0: Achilles heel of of the female body, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Now, this definitely did not happen. We know that William loved his wife, Matilda, and she lived for many, many years after 1066. (laughs) Um, So this oath took place in Normandy in the year 1064. I don't know if it's a Yule oath, unfortunately, though. As I said, we don't have the Yule paraphernalia (laughs) of a pig. (laughs) There are no dates on the Bayeux Tapestry, but I suppose there's like a one in three hundred and sixty five chance it could be a Yule Oath.
1: I mean, if they're Christian at this time, it might not be a Yule Oath. It
0: could be a Christmas Chris- Eve a Oath, Christmas maybe. Oath. Well, yeah, that you know that um, feels right. But it serves to highlight how important oaths are. Yeah. Um, imagine if this was a Yule Oath. Oh my God, what would have happened there? We'd have got a double Norman Conquest or something. <laughs> um. So
1: I mean. This doesn't seem to really be a thing in our society anymore. Like like we said earlier, it, it was kind of a really important thing for them to have then, but we've got other kind of assurances in place now, so it's not like these are really necessary.
0: Yeah, in Western society now, we're generally all literate. We use documents, we use contracts and paperwork to sort of keep society structured, full of law and order. So, for example, we signed job contracts to work at Jorvik Viking Center, which clearly laid out terms and conditions for both employee and employer. What we didn't have to do is touch a sacred boar and swear to uphold the honour and reputation of today's duty manager. That's not a thing we have to do these days, is it? It should be. I love it. (laughs) But oaths, of course, do have some function in modern society. Can you think of any oaths we might have today?
1: Um. Yes, I'm American, so I definitely made not an oath, but a pledge to a certain flag every single day in school.
0: hand on heart as it well is, as you do it? Yeah, yeah? so yeah. it's a bit similar to a hand on pick, isn't it? <laughs> um, the president, of course, has an oath of office. Yep. Uh, doctors have the Hippocratic Oath. Yep. And Boy Scouts of their oath. Even kids are forced to swear oaths in 21st century Britain. Can you believe it?
1: I mean, I think, you know, it's probably a good thing that oaths aren't such an integral part of our society because could you imagine killing a little Boy Scout because he didn't fulfill his oath?
0: Yeah, you didn't help her cross the road. How dare you? (laughs) The Godfrey (laughs) demands punishment. So we also don't touch magic boars anymore, do we, for our oaths? I
1: think we should bring it back, really.
0: I mean, try catching a boar. (laughs) (laughs) But modern oaths, we do involve ceremonial and religious objects. You might touch a Bible, for instance, Mm. in courtrooms Swear you're going to tell the truth. So there's a little thread of continuity there between our our Viking ancestors and the modern day. We can't prove there's a direct connection between a modern New Year's resolution and a Viking Yuletide oath. But there's clearly something special about this time of year, isn't there?
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, everyone getting together and holding themselves accountable for something, Yeah,
0: you're all together. If you're going to make a big promise, you've got an audience for it now, haven't you? Your family and friends are all about you. And there's just a a general theme, I think, of you look back at last year, stuff that you might have wanted to do better, and you look forward to the new year with hopes of doing certain things. You might pledge to marry a certain queen or slay a certain draugr, or maybe just pledge something small, like going to the gym a bit more often in January.
1: (laughs) That's nice happy yule time mm-hmm. yeah happy, happy new
0: yule i don't know happy uh, yule yeah. year yeah merry yule god bless us everyone We've i'm already <laughs> <laughs> god bless um, us everyone you boy what day is this What <laughs> day sir it's yule can't you tell by the giant pig <laughs> <laughs> i'm keeping that in <laughs> If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds, and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk.
1: Don't forget to rate and review That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk.
0: Thanks for listening to That Yorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms.
1: That Yorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Yorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton
0: researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schneider, Lucas Norton and Gareth Henry,
1: sound designed and edited by Miranda Schneider.